legislative leaders tuning in. Our job now is to fix the damn road ahead, together. Let's commit to the strong, bipartisan action we took last year and focus that same energy to end the pandemic, grow our economy, and get our kids back on track. The people of Michigan are counting on us. That is Governor Gretchen Whitmer during her third State of the State speech last night, trying to tap into some of the mojo that got her a Rhodes deal last year to perhaps help her convince legislators to work more with her in solving the challenges of the pandemic. Good day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. The governor's speech last night was unlike any we've seen in our lifetimes, and that's because it happened without the audience that's normally sitting in front of her. Thanks to COVID, Whitmer had to give her speech virtually from the state capitol. There weren't any breaks for applause, which meant the speech went by really fast, less than 30 minutes. And in that time, the governor spent less time on specific policy proposals and more time trying to strike that hopeful tone for the future, trying to reach back to when she was able to get legislators to work with her on a deal to fix the damn roads, as she said so often during her campaign. Here with us to help break down this year's State of the State speech and where it leaves us in terms of policy and negotiation is Rick Pluta. He is the senior state capital correspondent for the Michigan Public Radio Network. Rick, welcome back to Detroit Today. Hi, Stephen. It's great to have you here. So let's start with your overall reaction to Gretchen Whitmer's speech last night. What did she accomplish in that 30 minutes? Well, I mean, if, if, if you're looking for a fight between us, I don't think you're going to get one because Mine is basically the same as yours, that in many respects, this was an olive branch, an effort to make peace with the legislature after just months and months and months and months of dysfunction and fighting over the state's COVID response and dealing with the um, economic fallout. And she said bipartisan, I think maybe a dozen times. There were these repeated calls to find um common ground. Um, Like you said, she tried to be optimistic. Uh, On the COVID front, she couldn't give the best news that we have the vaccine and all the vaccine we need. But maybe the second best news that we will be ready when we get the vaccine. Um, And like I said, we, we just didn't see you know, as many of the darts that we've seen in um, some of her earlier communications regarding the uh, legislature. I think at one point she did say it would be cruel and reckless to um, hold to tie school funding to the administration's response to COVID. But again, you know, just 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 by and large, something that was upbeat and I think kind of trying to turn people's vision to um, what the post-COVID recovery might look like. Like One thing that comes to mind was calling for um, a permanent $2 an hour increase in the state minimum wage. That's something that would typically be a fight between Republicans and Democrats, and I expect it will be, but it's still, it's it's a positive assertion as opposed to... um, 
you know, um, a, a, a dark cloud uh, sort of vision. Yeah. So, so even as she was speaking yesterday, though, and being pretty passive in her criticism of Republican lawmakers, uh, Republican lawmakers were busy taking some pretty aggressive steps of their own. They put together this ultimatum that they're going to withhold school aid unless she gives up some of her powers to respond to the pandemic. Uh, the Senate also refused to confirm several of, of her appointees. Do you think that her tone in the speech was was a response, I guess, to the Republican aggression on, on these fronts as a way of maybe defusing some of that, that, that tension uh, so that we can move forward now that the, the speech is over. Yeah, I, I have no specific inside information as to whether or not that's the case, but it, it was a, a pretty dramatic change in tone in how she's been speaking to Republicans in the legislature, especially when they're not meeting directly and speaking directly about, um, you know, about what's going on. And she didn't offer any specific deal-making, which is one of the things Republicans said that they were looking for, is that they want a seat at the table. They don't want these unilateral executive orders and public health orders saying this is the way that it's going to be, but they want a negotiated response. And to the Whitmer administration, even if they're not outright saying that, that's a bridge too far, that they still want the flexibility to react quickly and legislating, as you well know, is not a quick process to deal with the changing factors in terms of what's happening with COVID around the state. Hmm. I'm talking with Rick Pluta. He's the senior state capital correspondent for the Michigan Public Radio Network. We're talking about Governor Gretchen Whitmer's state of the state speech yesterday, her third state of the state speech, and a speech that is really different from the other speeches We've heard her give also really different from any state of the state speech because of the pandemic. She had to deliver it by herself from her office. Normally, she'd have uh, the convening of both houses of the legislature in front of her. It would have been a big event with lots of other parties and things going on in Lansing. It was pretty quiet last night as she spoke and laid out her vision for the next year. Uh, in our state. If you want to give us a call and uh, join the conversation, tell us what you thought of Governor Gretchen Whitmer's speech last night. What jumped out to you about her speech? Do you think she struck the right tone by emphasizing bipartisanship and hope for the future rather than pushing back against Republicans who earlier in the day made some pretty aggressive moves to try to force her hand on the pandemic uh, restrictions that she's put into place? Would you have liked to see her come out swinging maybe a little bit more after some of the things that Republican legislators did? And give us a sense of what your outlook is for Michigan for the next 12 months. Do you think we're going to get control of the pandemic? Do you think this new variant of COVID is going to change some of the plans that we have to get back to life as we knew it before to reopen the state. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you into the conversation 
that way. Before we get to listeners, Rick, I want to uh, I want to talk a little about um, what we're hearing from Republicans in the wake of the speech and whether there's any room for negotiation about things like the COVID response uh, between the legislature and and the governor. Does this speech change the playing field in that way? Mm-hmm. Well, we're waiting for the formal Republican uh, response uh, later today on that. But the statements um, that have been released and a, a little bit that we're hearing from people like Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky is they like the words, they like the tone, but they don't believe it based on the history. Um, you know, for example, they say that the governor loves to talk about using the data to make decisions, but specific data points are not being um, set to say that, well, when this happens, we'll do this. And by the way, I, the governor has a response to this. I mean, on the one hand, she does say that they're using data, but there are so many moving parts in the COVID crisis. You can't say when X, Y, and Z happens, then that will lead to a particular result because there are so many other variables out there. And as you could imagine, if you're on one side of that discussion and the governor says, well, we're just waiting on this, this, and this, then you know, then, then you're going to feel shut out because there's always going to be something else that can get thrown into the mix. Mm-hmm. Now, that may be a practical reality, but it is certainly frustrating to Republicans who say we want in on the discussion. Yeah, yeah. As always, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Uh, let's go to Christopher in Pontiac. Christopher, what's on your mind? Um, yes, uh, Big Gretch, she has to be optimistic. The thing is that we need to take those tax dollars and make every institution, every business, and every head of household trust back individually. And that will be the plan. Like Jenny Granholm, she got the plan, and Kwame, she needs to put Kwame on the advisory council to run this thing with this trust back UBI plan. Uh, this is my strengthening capitalism act that I've been sending to uh, uh, the the senators and representatives of Michigan, hmm. and I plan on sending it to the governors and city councils as well. Yeah, uh, Christopher, I, I appreciate the call uh, and the, and the comments. The economy is a focus, of course, of of the governor. It is the focus for the legislature, which has said that the COVID response is is what's damaging the, the the economy and what they want to do is is reopen in, in order to stop that damage. Uh, Rick, w- what did you take from the speech about, about the way in which we're likely to see uh, that negotiation unfold in the, in, in the coming months? What ideas does the governor have about, about how to restart this economy? Well, she's started, you know, all of these councils. There's a return to school advisory council, an economic recovery um, advisory council, you know, among many others. And while they do have representation from business, small business, schools, union leaders, um, that there isn't that direct engagement yet with 
Republican legislators that uh, would, you know, finally have to be part of that plan when things have to be enacted into statute or just you want to stop the Republican leadership in the legislature from from blocking uh, these plans. And so I think that would be kind of the next step, you know, being able to take this and, and put it through the legislative committee process and say, this is what we're going to do. This is when it's going to happen and enshrine that in, in some statutory way. And that's what Republicans want. And, you know, we're we're just not there yet. There's not this direct engagement yet between all of the leadership. And it's not clear when this will happen and what will have to happen in order for that to take place. Mm. Uh, Again, uh, Christopher, thanks very much for the call and the comments. Let's go to Brian in Detroit. Brian, welcome to the show. Good morning. Hey. Good morning. How y'all doing? Good. How are you? When you were mentioning that, I was like, I like the way that the, uh, the Democrats were staying calm in the months of all the screaming amongst the Republican Party. They can scream loud, but they don't really want anything done. They just want to scream. Hmm. Uh, Brian, appreciate the call and and the thoughts. Rick, we have seen Republican legislators spend a lot of time just complaining about what Governor Whitmer wants to do and mm-hmm. not coming up with their own plan. But but one of the things that we've seen in the recent days is that they now do have an actual plan for COVID. Talk about what's in that plan and how it differs from what uh, Governor Whitmer has has put on the table. Well, it doesn't differ. I mean, there are differences, certainly. Um, but, you know, even the governor has said that she feels like a lot of this is already represented in what she's trying to do. And I think the most significant thing is, again, Republicans want specific benchmarks that are if this, then that um, standards for reopening businesses, certain types of businesses, um, school sports, you know, things like that. They're seeing, um, as a lot of people are, a, a disconnect between why you're allowing one type of activity, but there's a similar activity that has more uh, restrictions on it. And so that's the direction that all of this is taking. And in, in, in some respects, it seems like the governor and the administration are trying to hold their ground until we see, um, you know, maybe a federal mask mandate, which would make enforcing that a lot easier. And most importantly, just more and more and more vaccines, which will make it easier to open up more sectors of the economy and more sectors of, um, you know, of society. Mm. In fact, we have a clip of the governor talking about vaccines. Let's take a listen to what she said. Every eligible Michigander who wants a vaccine will get one. This process is like a locomotive. It'll be cumbersome and slow in the beginning, but it will get faster and smoother as we go. I, that, that to me was one of the bolder promises that the governor made in her speech yesterday because we've had so many problems with the rollout of vaccines and getting them into people's arms. Here she's saying, look, everybody who wants one is going to get one. I love the analogy there of a locomotive that maybe starts off slow, but once it gets going, really, really churns. Uh, 
how how likely are we to see that happen, Rick Pluto? Do we have the things in place to make sure that the the early days of the vaccine distribution, which have been pretty chaotic, don't mm-hmm. bleed into uh, into the coming months? Well, and, and it's an analogy that she's used often before to describe the process because it's a pretty effective uh, prescription mm-hmm. uh, description. Um, but there were some some guardrails around that that promise, which is that Michigan can't control how much vaccine it's getting by and large. What it can control is the distribution system. And she says that, and, and you'll remember, she was very, very critical of the Trump administration for how it managed um, vaccine distribution and getting it to states, the elements of politicization that seem to be part of that. Um, but she says that the Biden administration is building a structure. And while Michigan does not have any vaccine yet, that when the time comes, we're going to have everything in place or almost everything in place ready to distribute that vaccine to make sure that the people who need it the most get it first, but that people do get it and that we don't have an upcoming summer like the summer that, uh, you know, that we had last year. Mm-hmm. I want to put some Twitter comments into the mix here. John on Twitter says, only those with an incredibly liberal bias can pretend that Whitmer was really pushing for bipartisan government. The words were pretty, but our history demonstrates, like many politicians, they were just words of hypocrisy to create an illusion of nice. Carl on Twitter says, this comes down to a basic separation of powers issue, where the legislators want to overstep their authority. Whitmer needs to stand her ground on this. She is the executive. It is her job to enforce the laws. It is their job to pass the laws. She is the elected governor. Uh, let's go to Sean, who also wants to talk about this balance of power between the executive and the legislative branches. Sean, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Good morning. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I was just going to comment. I, I, I'm a hardcore Democrat, but I often get frustrated and irritated with the fact that they always seem to say, well, we're going to take the high road or we're going to be bipartisan when the other side has no interest in giving any. Hmm. Republicans are masters at playing the game. So they know what to do to get what they want. And Democrats fall for it every time for the sake of saving face. Hmm. And I feel like she needs to play hardball. Because the things that she's asking for aren't crazy or outlandish. So, so Sean, do you think she's not been playing hardball? I mean, she pretty much has done what she wants to do. And when the GOP leaders in the legislature complain about it, she has pretty much said, well, these are these are powers that I have. I, I, I don't want to share them with you and you don't have any ideas anyway. How much how much harder would you have her play? Uh, well, no, I agree with you. Yes, yeah, she has. Um, she has used her power to her. To, I mean, in a way that she should have. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I still feel like she pacifies. Um, them making them feel like they have the power to overstep her or, or wrong her in some way, shape, or form, which is how they ended up passing, um, trying to strip her executive powers away. Yeah. 
Yeah, Sean. Yeah, I just feel like yeah. Yeah, Sean. I, re- I really appreciate the call and, and, and the and the thoughts. Rick Pluto respond to what Sean's saying and what we heard uh, on Twitter. This is this is something that goes on in every administration, of course. Uh, and Rick Snyder, who of course was of the same party of the legislative leadership, by the time he left, I think had just about had it with uh, legislative leaders getting in his getting in his way. How well has Whitmer played this, and and how how much will she be able to maintain that uh, that posture as as we get uh, further into her administration? I, I think it would be hard to argue that she has not uh, stood her ground. That uh, you know that that she's been challenged in court multiple times. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the reasons that she turned to these public health orders that. Um, are issued by the, the 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 state health department, the state health director, um, is because that um, her ability to issue and reissue more sweeping executive orders was uh, struck down in court, and you know she followed that all the way, and then. When uh, um, the Whitmer administration lost in court, you know they found another workaround, and I I think that um, this state of the state address. Uh, I know we're repeating ourselves. One of the goals was try to set an optimistic tone for the future, but another one was to start to at least begin the process of engaging the legislature to find some version of a common strategy because fighting won't work forever. And that's kind of, you know, where they're at right now. And, you know, but the Republican response is, you know, those are pretty words, but we want to, you know, we want to see some proof that this is going to be a commonly arrived at plan, as opposed to something that is ordered by the executive. And the executive, of course, is still arguing that the field is changing a lot constantly, and we need to be nimble to be able to uh, meet the changing circumstances. Mm. Okay, Rick Pluta, senior state capital correspondent for the Michigan Public Radio Network and one of the most knowledgeable people about politics and policy in our state. Always great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thanks so much. Um, Thank you, Stephen. Very kind of you. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to change the subject and talk about the historical seclusion and significance of African-American senators. Raphael Warnock was sworn in last week as the newest black senator, a man from the state of Georgia. We'll talk about the significance of that and what it means in the context of history. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. Detroit Today.